The book of Genesis lays out the foundation for all of Scripture, allowing us to see God's handiwork in creation, man's rebellion in the fall, and God's global judgment in the flood. These three events in history have changed everything that once existed in perfection, and the consequences remain with us today. But just how has the world changed since that time? And what is it we can learn from these events that can help us know God better, especially when many today are denying that God even exists? Welcome to this week's broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation from the Institute for Creation Research. This month we take a closer look at what happened in the early chapters of Genesis and why those events matter to us in a three-part series titled The Case for Creation, presented by Dr. Henry Morris III. Genesis and the account of creation, the fall, and the worldwide flood of Noah's day set the stage for the grand narrative of Scripture, which reveals God's plan of redemption through the Creator Himself, Jesus Christ. Join Dr. Morris now in part one of The Case for Creation. I'm calling this the big three because I want to talk about the, the big events, but before we get started, let's make sure you understand what I'm trying to address here. In terms of a foundational sort of question, we're talking about the character of God. How does that apply? How does it fit? What is there about this whole message that deals with God's character? Now, I, I should start by saying we're, we're beginning at the presuppositional level. Do you understand that big $1.95 word? That means we have nothing but just belief at the beginning of this. Everybody has presuppositions. Everybody. We all have them. Uh, when you're dealing with the origins of issues, we're dealing with, A, whether God exists or not, and then with what kind of God it is. So the confusions are very real and, and multiple, and we'll try to address those as we go along. Uh, coupled with that is, where is the authority? Is the authority me? Is it in science? Is it in scripture? Is, is it what I feel? Where's the source of authority? Because all presuppositional beginnings have as a, a source something beyond ourselves. We might call it belief, we might call it faith, we might call it guesswork, we can call it a lot of things, but really we're talking about some kind of source of authority. And then ultimately we're dealing with how you interpret the data that you look at. Whether you believe in God or whether you believe in no God, whether you believe in science or not science, whatever the issues are, you're really dealing with how you interpret the information that you're analyzing. That's a big mouthful to start with, but that's kind of important because as we work through this, you will come up against the, the issues that are contradictory on the surface. And we have to analyze them from this standpoint. How do we look at God? How do we look at the source of authority? How do we look at interpretation? From a theological perspective now, is Genesis real history or not? Is it an allegory? Is it a, is it a historical record? Is it designed to be taken literally or is it designed to be taken sort of as a, mm, well, does it sort of contain a message? There's a lot of thought today among Christianity, and particularly among evangelicals, that Genesis is not really to be understood as a historical record, but rather as a uh, a general accumulation of the ideas of ancient people. It contains the message that God wanted them to know, and it's our job now to kind of sort out that information and figure out how we apply it 
in our very modern 21st century. And of course, that comes back to interpretation again. How do you deal with the data? Whichever way you approach it, you're still stuck with this interpretation issue. How do you approach the information that you believe in? Well, there are really only three ways you can do this. One of these is to make you the source of the interpreter, the reader, the me. I decide what I think those words mean, or those fossils mean, or that poem means, or uh, something like this. Hmm. This is very common in religious circles, particularly in home Bible studies, where everybody kind of sits around in a circle, and the facilitator, not a teacher anymore, you call it a facilitator now these days, so the facilitator reads a verse, and then says to the person, or just generally to the crowd, what do you think it means? And everybody kind of goes around the circle and shares their ignorance on what they think it means. <laughs> That's the reader deciding what data, information, facts mean. Another one a little bit more subtle, and academics like this one, where we're trying to figure out what the original author meant. This you see in English class, where the English teacher says, now, what do you think Shakespeare meant? Have you ever had that phrase said to you in class? How in the world do you know what Shakespeare meant? It really comes back to me, right? Interpreting what I think Shakespeare meant when he wrote what he wrote way back when. When you apply it to the scriptures, you say, what do you think Moses meant? Or David, or... Daniel or whatever, you're still, it's a little bit more subtle and it sounds a little bit more academic or sophisticated because here you can bring in, well, historically it's this and archaeological data tells us this and historical venues tell us this and now we can, with this information of archaeology and history, we can understand the author a little better. But you still got the me factor in there. Are you, are you with me on this? Very subtle, but that's exactly what's happening. From a biblical perspective, and this is what the Bible insists, it's not you nor the author, it's the words, the text. Now, there's a lot of resistance to this. Remember when Paul was telling Timothy, your grandmother taught you the words of salvation and all the writings, the scripture, it's usually translated, it's the Greek word graphene, the writings, the written words, they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and so on. And the things in the Old Testament about every word of God is pure and don't add to them and all those sorts of things. So the message of Scripture about itself throughout the Scripture is every word is there precisely what God wanted us to see and hear and understand. And when Jesus was talking about it, he said, my words are eternal. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words won't. Even the jot and the tittle. You remember him talking about that? The, the little spelling issues. So from a biblical perspective, and here's presupposition again. From a biblical perspective, we are presented a belief system that God is the author of the text and that we who are the readers of that text are to believe the words of the text. Now the question arises, how do you prove that? 
How do you deal with that? How do you answer that? How, how do you know that's so? Well, that's what we're going to try to address in the next several weeks. And in this first session together, I want us to think a little bit more about the way God sees us. Human intellect. Remember, it all kind of comes back to the reader, to me. Um, when you look throughout the Bible, I've got a little chart in your notes. It's not very complimentary. As a matter of fact, when you begin reading the passages of Scripture, they're summarized by Paul to the Corinthian church where he says, The natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him. So in a, in, a, in a normal sense, when we're just exercising our human thinking processes, it's, it's, it's not going to connect with the way God's message is given. It's just not going to do it. We need some supernatural intervention. Once again, we're back to this presuppositional thing here again. The Bible tells us that in order to understand God, we've got to know God from His perspective, and that can only happen when He enlightens us. Boy, how do you prove that? How do you put that in a text tube? How, how, how do you do that? I mean, how can you deal with it? These are pretty hard questions to address. Compromisers, oh, I better be careful here, people who want to hybridize the message of Scripture. They want to take the words of God and sort of uh, either use them to develop a, uh, a hybrid with the, the, the message of men, usually talk about natural revelation. Now they're talking now here about physics and biology and, and, and powers and energies and, and stars and things. That's natural revelation, okay? In the natural revelation, the things that God has created, there are messages. And a matter of fact, that's quite true. The Bible does tell us. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. Every day has speech. Every night has knowledge. There's no words, but their sound goes everywhere. So there's a, there's a message that God has written in the creation. Romans chapter 1 says, even his invisible things, we'll talk about that next week, even his invisible things are known by the things that he's made, even his eternal power and his Godhead. So there is a, a, a body of information that's available in the things that God has created, and we can call it natural revelation. But what are the limits? There are a number of texts in the scriptures that define how those things are to be limited. You can look at them here. You don't have time to read them this morning. But essentially, they all say in one form or another that this message is available to everybody, whether it's the stars or the processes of biology or the forces of energy or however we begin to evaluate the information that God has created for us, they are available for everybody. And as Paul says in the Romans message in chapter 1, he said, so that nobody has an excuse. Nobody can say, I didn't know that God existed. Now once again, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do, you, how do you prove it? How do you test it? See, the revelation that we find in creation the forces of nature, the things that we can test, they are limited to knowledge about God, not about everything. Now, if you know anything about the progress of science, you will know that it has 
sort of turned an exponential curve in the last hundred years. Uh, 500 years ago, all scientists knew there were 5,003 stars. You know why? They did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now we know they're innumerable. And it's interesting, the Bible says that this number of stars are like the numbers of grains of sand. Uh, not countable, not knowable. They're just, they're just beyond our imagination, those kinds of things. So when the Bible speaks to scientific stuff, if God is real, if he created them, it's got to be accurate. So when he gives us natural revelation, it's going to give us information about himself in a way that everybody can understand it. It's not limited to the technically trained. It's not limited to any period of time. It's really about everything. It's a constant message as long as the creation exists. It's a message that's available to everybody. It's a message that's observable everywhere. Somehow or other, within the last hundred years, there's been this idea that only scientists can understand the creation. But just simply not a presentation of Scripture. That message, seen rightly through the lens of God's Word, points to the person and work of Jesus Christ, our Creator, Judge, and Redeemer. You've been listening to Part 1 of The Case for Creation by Dr. Henry Morris III, on Science, Scripture, and Salvation. For over 40 years, the Institute for Creation Research has been exploring, defending, and teaching the wonders of God's creation through scientific research, graduate education, and innovative resources designed to help you understand and maintain confidence in God's Word. And during the month of January, we'd like to let you know about a brand new audio resource from ICR titled, The Genesis Record Audio Series. This 10-disc box set features the teaching of ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris, in a vintage recording of his signature series on the book of Genesis. Call 1-800-628-7640 to order your copy today or visit online at icr.org. Ask about a free subscription to our monthly magazine, Acts and Facts. Join us next week on the same station for part two of The Case for Creation. Thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation.